once again, it's excitement time. Once again, the audience sits on the edge of its seats, tingling with that anticipation of, at long last, the word, the great word coming out of the glowing spotlight of eternity, swirling out of the cosmos of time. <laughs> it's excitement moment. Yes. Yes. Yes, I say yes. I say yes. sat in the biting wind, wishing she were gone. <laughs> Hardly a soul, just a few regulars. Nursemaids, infants, old men, dogs, I got to know them quite well. Oh, by appearance, of course. Yeah. One dark young beauty I recollect particularly, all white and starch. Incomparable bosom with a big black hooded perambulator. <laughs> funereal thing, yes. Whenever I looked in her direction, she had her eyes on me, and yet when I was bold enough to speak to her, not having been introduced, of course, she threatened to call a policeman as if I had designs on her virtue. <laughs> oh, the face she had, the eyes. Like chrysolite. Oh, well... I was there when the blind went down. One of those dirty brown roller affairs throwing a ball for a little white dog, as chance would have it. I happened to look up and there it was. All over and done with at last. <laughs> I sat on for a few moments with the ball in my hand and the dog yelping and pawing at me. Moments, her moments, my moments. The dog's moments. In the end, I held it out to him, and he took it in his mouth, gently, gently. A small, old, black, hard, solid rubber ball. I shall feel it in my hands until my dying day. I might have kept it. Uh, but I gave it to the dog. Oh, well. Spiritually, a year of profound gloom and indigence until that memorable night in March at the end of the jetty. In a howling wind, oh, never to be forgotten, when suddenly I saw the whole thing, the vision, at last. This, I fancy, is what I have chiefly to record this evening. The vision at last at the end of the jetty. Yes, I remember it well came to me just like that out of the dark. I can still feel that hard rubber ball in my hand. I can feel it. <laughs> and she thought I had designs on her virtue. <laughs> oh. oh, well. All right, I'll give you a brass fig leaf with a bronze oak leaf palm for rising above the muck and the mire of ordinary listening to them, if you can tell me what that is from. Well, I'm not going to let you know. What is it from? <laughs> I'll tell you how I, how I happen to be. You know, I'm sitting there seeing, 
And all of a sudden, uh, just out of the blue, see, this letter comes. Get that thing set up there. I may use it again. This letter comes, and it's from a teacher up in Brookline, Massachusetts, and says, Shepard, what is one of your favorite plays? Now, that's pretty hard to answer, you know. What is one of your favorite plays? And I will award you a brass fig with a bronze oak leaf palm if you can recognize that tiny section of a play. I'll give you a clue. Put it on there again. Listen carefully to it. There I sat in the biting wind, wishing she was gone. Hardly a soul, just a few regulars, nursemaids, infants, old men, dogs. (laughs) I got to know them quite well, by their appearance, of course, I mean. Yeah, one dark young beauty I recollect particularly, all white and starch, incomparable bosom, with a big black hooded perambulator. It was the most funereal thing. Whenever I looked in her direction, she had her eyes on me. And yet when I was bold enough to speak to her, not having been introduced, she threatened to call a policeman as if I had decides on her virtue. <laughs> oh, the face, the face she had. The eyes. Like, like chrysolite. Oh, well. I was there when when the blind went down. One of those little dirty brown roller affairs. Throwing a ball for a little white dog, as chance would have it. I happened to look up, and there it was, all over and done with at last. I just sat there for a few moments with the ball in my hand and the dog yelping and pawing at me. Moments, her moments, my moments. The dog's moments. Well, in the end, I held it out to him and he took it in his mouth. Gently, gently. (laughs) A small, old, black, hard, solid rubber ball. Yeah, I'll feel it in my hands until my dying day. I might have kept it, but I gave it to him, to the dog. Ah, well. (laughs) Uh, Spiritually, here a profound gloom and indigence until that memorable night in March. Yeah, at the end of the jetty in a howling wind when suddenly I saw the whole thing, the vision. At last. This, I fancy, is what I have chiefly to record this evening. You'd like to hear the rest of that play, wouldn't you? <laughs> I'll give you one clue. It is not hell's a-poppin'. I'll give you a brass figlegy with a bronze oak leaf palm, if you can tell me that one. I'll give you another to give you a... Uh, Give you another. Uh, here, I'll, I'll 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 quote the same author. I'll quote the same author from a different play. Give you an idea what it might be. Whose kaleidoscopic ways are all authentic. Whose truth is not of a statement but of a dance. 
so that even when you deceive, your deceits are merely technical and of no significance. <laughs> and so when I think of you, I have to meet you in thought on your own ground to apply to you my algebraic canons would merely be unsound. All right, I'll give you an even more clue. Listen to this. Two characters speaking together. Well, in the meantime, let's try and converse calmly since we are obviously incapable of keeping silent. <laughs> You're right, we're inexhaustible. If so, we won't think. Well, we have that excuse. It's so we won't hear. Well, we have our reasons. Yes, all the dead voices. They make a noise like wings. No, like leaves. Like sand. Like leaves. They all speak together. Each one to itself. No, no, no. Rather, they whisper, whisper. They rustle. They murmur. No, they rustle. What do they say? They talk about their lives. <laughs> to have lived is not enough for them. They have to talk about it. To be dead is not enough for them. It is not sufficient. They make a noise like feathers. Not like leaves. Like ashes. Not like leaves. Say something. I'm trying. Say anything, anything at all. What do we do now? Wait for Godot. Ah. <laughs> you like that? Okay. They all got it? Yes, that is true. That is from Crap's last tape. From uh, Crap's last tape. That's uh, the, the, uh, the first one was. The second one was from, uh, obviously, Waiting for Godot by, <laughs> by the same author. But I, I like that, I like that uh, the, the, his treatment there of, of the dog. You know, that... that, that because as far as I'm concerned, the Beckett's writing is some of the most sensual. Sensual, not in the sexy sensuality, but in the senses form. He, he deals with words that just come rolling and images that keep rolling over. It's just the way your mind works, you know, like leaves tripping along. Uh, uh, drop me that little thing there. Just, just this point here. Just this point here. Yes. Yes, I was there when... The blind went down. One of those dirty brown roller affairs throwing a ball for a little white dog, as chance would have it. I just happened to look up. And there it was. All over and done with, at last. I sat on a few moments with the ball in my hand. And the dog yelping and pawing at me. Moments. Her moments. My moments. <laughs> the dog's moments. In the end, I held it out to him. And he took it in his mouth. Gently. Gently. A small, old, black, hard, solid rubber ball. 
I shall feel it in my hand until my dying day. <laughs> I might have kept it. But I gave it to the dog. Oh, well. Oh, well. I could just see that guy sitting there. That's a play that I once did a scene from that play. In fact, it's one long scene. But I once did a scene in the in the actor's studio. Crap's last tape. And you know what the play is about, don't you? It's a guy sitting there listening to a tape recording that he has made. He has recorded his life. Every birthday, he sat down and he recorded stuff of that birthday. And uh, now he's listening to it all. And he's hearing it. He says, oh, yeah, I remember that. Why did I say that? What was in my mind that time? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember now. I remember, yeah, I was sitting on a bench. Yeah, I remember it started to rain. And, and she went walking by that day, I remember. <laughs> and she thought I had designs on her virtue. What a joke. <laughs> <laughs> You didn't think you'd run into this tonight, did you? All right. This is WOR New York, and it's now important announcement time. <laughs> big hurt. Big, big. Big, big. Friday night. Friday night. Mark that down well. Think deeply into your soul about a Friday night. April the 7th, Friday at 8 p.m. I'm going to be at the Carlton Theater in beautiful downtown Red Bank, New Jersey. You'll be there. The crowd will come thundering out of the undergrowth. It's time for our big spring bacchanal, and it's going to be Friday night, the 7th. Now, here's the dope. You call all Ticketron outlets have got tickets, just like the big hockey games. Call the Ticketron office, and they'll tell you where the nearest Ticketron agency is to you. Here's the number to call in New York, 644-4400. Or you can call the box office in New Jersey at 201 area, 747-3800. That's the Carlton Theater, downtown Red Bank, New Jersey. This Friday night at 8 p.m., the balloon goes up. <laughs> Never thought of it that way, did you? Never considered the hard rubberness of that old worn, gnawed rubber ball. Never thought of it that way, eh? <laughs> oh, cast not the first stone into the quiet, placid pool of serenity in life and time. Next to that lily pad over there lies a frog who died a horrible death in a moment of his most exquisite pleasure. Gone, just like that, gone! I tell you, gone. Ah, spring. Spring, what it does. What it does to a man's soul. 
what it does to a man's soul. Tonight, I would like to salute another victim of spring. Bring it up, Herb. No, no, that's what I want. That's what I want. That's what I want. There's so many things I want out of this existence. God, I can almost taste that great vast coconut donut of time. Ah, delicious. Delicious. The more you eat, the more you want. The crispier the potato chips, the more you want them. A little piccolily on the side. Spring, my God. It's Bacchanal time. Tonight, I would like to salute an East Hartford, Connecticut man who had paddled down the Connecticut River from South Windsor, Connecticut, in a rubber raft and was arrested Saturday on disorderly conduct charges when he allegedly was immediately after his voyage found nude in a local laundromat. Match that, Sam Becker. Samuel Beckett, match that. It was a shocker, said State Trooper Lawrence Merrill. He said he found the man in the old Lime, Connecticut laundromat totally without his clothes. I tell you, it was a shocker, the cop said. Investigation revealed that the man's clothing had been soaked during the river voyage on his rubber raft, so he took them all off and put it in the dryer. Stood around in the laundromat waiting for him to dry. The cop said, it was a pretty small raft, I tell you. I wouldn't want it to take that ride myself. The policeman explained that the man explained to him that the trip down the river in the rubber raft was just something he wanted to do because it was spring. Oh, God, what it does to you. Turns you inside out. You don't know which way to go. You're standing around in a laundromat with your pants off, waiting for them to dry. Cop comes in and puts the arm on you, and your rubber raft is waiting outside. After you float it down a river in the middle of the spring, it just turns you inside out. Don't sing like that, please. You're driving me out of my bird. Stop it, you guys. <laughs> That's better. <laughs> <laughs> Sing gang.
face, Jude. Oh, my God, where will ever end? What terrible subterranean passions drive the body onward and onward till finally caught in the vast laundromat of the taffy-making machine of the vast boardwalk of all time, you're carried finally out to sea, drowned in your own molasses syrup. Hold it, hold it. Just got to calm down here. Just got to calm down. Will somebody please throw a bucket of water on my head? Quick. (laughs) It's spring. You just can't help it. So ends our salute to Martha Dean. Oh, tell you. We got a couple of commercials here. (laughs) Hey, Savers, March 31st should have been good news for most of you. Because on that day, most banks credited. How can you talk about banks in the middle of this kind of passion? But this is a bank that brings passion out in the person. Over 82,000 Provident Savers from all over the USA know that Provident in New Jersey, in Jersey City, has never missed paying a dividend in 132 years. Spring, high water, hell. They've been paying it. Ask for the Provident Savings Bank postage-free bank-by-mail kit. Just write Provident in care of WOR New York 10018. They pay their interest the last day of every month. Not every three months like the rest of them, or many of them do. And they're a member of the FDIC. What is the FDIC? Sounds like a secret society like Amork. The... the <laughs> All right, let's see. we got a couple of others. How about the General Tire spot? Right now, friends, General Tire is having a great anniversary sale on the famous General Jet White Wall. Listen to this, friends. Strong four-ply nylon core General Jet tubeless white walls in popular sizes. They're all singing about this one. 650.13 is a popular size. Now anniversary priced at only $69 for a complete set of four tires. Yes, for big car owners, and they've got all kinds of things going on for the big car guys. So mount your General Jet white walls today, but hurry, sail in Saturday, the 15th of April. That's at the home of the big red General Tire G, your one-stop car care headquarters. Ask for Charles or Ross Menino at Westfield General Tire, Westfield, New Jersey. That was a production, wasn't it? We did that very well. I thought so. (laughs) Did I get... What, what, am I being inundated with calls from the Samuel Beckett fan club? Oh, listen, I'll tell you, that was... That's the the single best play I think I've ever seen. The single best play I've ever seen. And I've seen a lot of plays and been in quite a few myself. But this... That was the single best play that I've ever seen was Waiting for Godot. And uh, that particular performance in Waiting for Godot uh, that I saw, the particular production, uh, Bert Lahr played one of the roles. All right, and I'll ask you now, who played the slave in that production? Oh, you all, you, you know who he is. Who played the slave? You know him. No, it wasn't Big Murphy. I don't know who that is, and it was not Earl Dowd. Now, who played the slave? I'll give you a clue. It was not Lester Smith. Who played the slave in that production that starred, among other people, of course, there was no star, and it was Bert Lahr. Bert Lahr played... 
one of the characters, and who played the slave, and who played Bert Lars' buddy in it. Well, they, he, they were the. In fact, one of the one of the lines that Bert Lahr had, and I'll give it to you right here. One of his lines was this. He said, and I quote. Uh, here's what he said. Um, My friend has hurt himself. There's a line. The next guy says, and lucky. And then Bert Lahr says, so it was he. It was he. <laughs> it was he. The other guy says, what? He says, is, is it lucky, really? He had a very strange delivery. And they go, oh, 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 oh. he would laugh. <laughs> and, and when asked later, uh, after the production, by a friend of mine, asked Bert Lahr, what did the play mean? I don't know. <laughs> he said, I only do it. I don't know what it means. <laughs> but uh, it was a very, very interesting evening, I'll tell you. And uh, one of my favorite absolute all-time plays. You can't... Uh, and, and there was one important non-speaking element in... I'm, I'm giving you a very cultural test here tonight. I mean, uh, to all of you who are, are totally uh, oriented to, to uh, the reruns of Lucy, you may not understand this. But what was the most important non-speaking thing in Waiting for Godot? It was not... There were the characters, but this was non-speaking. Very interesting bit of stagecraft. Very interesting. And while you're mulling that over tonight, I would like to point out to uh, those of you who are, are uh, looking around for a good place to eat, I'd like to uh, make a, a point here about the great Shanghai, one of our old hangar honors. And uh, they'd like to say, and this is quite true, I've just come back from the Orient, and I can tell you, hey, you know, I, I did something, I did something that... Uh, that uh, <laughs> I'll bet not many people have done in, in Tokyo. I went to a Chinese restaurant in Tokyo. And all the Japanese go to the Chinese restaurant there because that's exotic food to them, believe it or not. And it was the worst Chinese restaurant I was ever in. So I would like to... <laughs> oh, terrible, I'll tell you. <laughs> they had... Uh, I ordered the chicken. And I swear that that chicken was made out of silly putty. It was not real chicken. It couldn't have been. I think they took it back to the kitchen and used it over, you know, between uh, customers. But if you want to have really good Chinese cooking, I would like to suggest the Great Shanghai. And uh, they have uh, food there from all the different provinces of China. They, they have uh, many different chefs, all of whom come from the various areas that they represent. So try the Great Shanghai Sunday Brunch. It's a fantastic buffet, and they serve it from 11 to 4 on Sunday, of course, and that means all you can eat for only two seventy-five. And kids under four feet tall are a buck and a half, which is a mysterious Chinese rule. That's the Great Shanghai Broadway at one hundred and third Street, and there's an IRT station right there. It comes right up next to the Chopstick Cleaner. That's the Great Shanghai Broadway at one hundred and third Street. Hey, I had a fantastic compliment paid to me by this girl. Uh, there was a, a Chinese girl or a Japanese girl in the uh, Japanese restaurant I was eating there. And uh, there were two other couples there, and they were sitting, uh, just me, see, and it was, they, they sit you all at this table, see, and I'm eating away there. And this, this woman turns to me, a very elegant Japanese girl, and she says, uh, oh, excuse me, sir, and I said, yes. She says, you must have lived uh, for some time in the Orient. And I said, uh, why do you say that? She said, you use chopsticks very well. I said, would you please say that again so they can hear that out in front where the people are coming in. She says, Oh, so you have friends here? <laughs> <laughs>
And I said, no, just, just say it loud so they can all hear it around here. She says, you use chopsticks very well. By the way, they do use the L's like that. She says, you use chopsticks very well. You must have lived a long time in the Orient. I said, well, I don't talk much about it, but my days in the Gobi, my days at Khyber Pass, and uh, the hellish nights spent in opium dens in Shanghai. I don't talk much about that. It's kind of great to have somebody... <laughs> I asked her to translate it to J uh, Japanese, you know, so all the people around there could hear it. But uh, I would like to recommend this restaurant. Incidentally, speaking of uh, great uh, great trips in your life, uh, I'd just like to point out that uh, for almost nothing, you can be driving along tonight instead of driving along the Long Island Expressway the way you are, Route 22. You could be driving along the coast of Portugal. <laughs> Stopping off for a bit of lobster, a little of that fantastic Portuguese wine. And you can do all of this on an incredible eight-day fly-and-drive tour for only, listen to this, $270. Fly-and-drive tour, eight days. And that's only good till the 30th of April. Because the people of TAP, which is the Intercontinental Airline of Portugal, have put Portugal on sale until the 30th of April. So, man, you better get on it fast, because April's going by quicker than you know. April, as you know, is the cruelest month, and it's going to swat you right down in your lumbar region if you don't watch it. Call your travel agent or the people at TAP for complete details, and the number in New York is 421-8500. The sale ends April the 30th. And now we have one more ding-dong to lay on you, so lay it on them, Herbert. It happens every spring. And it's wonderful. The International Auto Show at the Coliseum. Marvel at the moon car, ready to travel the lunar circuit. The future is here with the new electric autos. Admire antiques, classics, racers, experimentals. See stunning cars from all over the world, plus racing movies, beautiful models, fashions. It's an Easter holiday at the world's greatest auto show. The International Auto Show, New York Coliseum, now through April 9th. No, no, now I'm, I've got you going up the wall. No, it's a, it's a, it's a guy you know who played in Waiting for Godot, and uh, he was he was terrific in it. He, uh, it was one of the most interesting stage performances I have ever witnessed, and uh, he was just magnificent in it. And as a matter of fact, uh, nope, nope, you're way off, and you're getting further off. And uh, I'll give you a clue as to who... Well, all right, I'll just, just drop that out to you. Now, I'll ask you one other thing. <laughs> Talking about waiting for Godot. I'm a real fan of this. Uh, one day in the studio, I, I did a scene out of that out of that play with a couple of other guys, two of whom you know very well. And uh, one of them is named uh, Sidney Portier, uh, who was an old friend of mine. But but this this particular performance, though, I, I just uh, I remember this as an example of a totally physically free performance on the stage. Now, physically free is uh, is something that uh, many actors strive for, and very few ever actually achieve by physical freedom. I mean, the, the absolute total use of the body. And uh, one of the great the bits on the waiting for Godot, not bit, I should say, a bit of stagecraft. The one thing about I don't know why I got on the subject tonight, but uh, this letter set me off. And uh, <laughs> and uh, when I, I, I guess that, that gives a clue as to uh, 
uh, in my own insight uh, or my own psyche what I consider good writing or what I consider a, a good piece of theater, certainly. But there are a lot of good plays around, but uh, this, to me, was a play that was continuous. There was another one, another play that I enjoyed very much. And uh, also, I had was privileged to do... I guess when you work with a play, when you, when you actually take scenes out of it and do bits, do parts of them, uh, and perform the play, uh, even if it's in the privacy of your own home, which I've never done, but if you perform before an audience and you begin to work with a piece of uh, material... Uh, you begin to see things in it that that uh, just suddenly hit you, and I suspect in many cases even the author didn't really uh, have this put in. You know, he didn't physically lay it in there, but it came out. And uh, this uh, this was another play, which I thought had a great deal of uh, of curious overtones to it. Do, do any of you remember the Caretaker with Donald Pleasance? And uh, the the uh, scene in the in the shack where it all began to happen, and these two guys arrived, and this old man is in the shack, and uh, from that, that Harold Pinter has a great deal in common with with Beckett anyway. But there was a moment in that play. I wish I I wish I knew the uh, the actual speech. If I did, I would perform it here for you. Where one of the characters sits on the edge of the bed and looks out at the audience. He's not really looking at the audience. He's just sort of looking off in the limbo. And he's, the bed is an old, rotten-looking old bed in this shack, and it's got old burlap covers. And it's just an old shack that this bum lives in, you see. And for some mysterious reason, these two men have come there, and they're haranguing this old guy who's an old, feisty character played by Donald Pleasance. And he keeps hopping around, fighting him. He wants to fight him. He wants to... Get him out. Then he then he, he he decides to entertain him, and he starts fixing something for him to eat. And and all the while, these two mysterious characters. And then suddenly, one of them, uh, who's a big lumbering guy, and who by the way is a very good writer, this particular actor. Who is it? Sits. No, forget George Siegel. You keep saying George. I can't read lips. So he sits on the edge of the of the bed, and he looks out over over the audience, and he begins to. He begins to talk about something that happened to him. And it was one of the great touching moments in the theater. Suddenly he realized that something happened to him and he was, he was injured and his, 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 his brain was injured and he knew it. And he, he couldn't comprehend anymore that his head didn't work right. And there would be moments when he would be blacked out and he's looking out and he says, I can't, I just, don't know what to do sometimes, and I just sit here, and I, 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 I just, I can't think. And he just looked out, and it was just a curious moment when you realized that he, he was done. It was all over for him. Yeah, Robert Shaw, excellent uh, actor, but uh, that that uh, that was another piece of, of theater. But uh, when you get when you get into Beckett. The more you work with uh, Beckett, uh, the more you watch. Now, the thing about Beckett is that uh, I, I have to suspect that uh, that Beckett's plays don't have much to do. In fact, I know they don't have anything to do with logic. They have to do with uh, <laughs> with uh, the curious sound of words and the the rolling 
the rolling cadences of, of speech which seems to have meaning but which really doesn't have meaning. Have you ever thought about your own life? The, 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 the endless repetition of things you say to people that has no meaning whatsoever. Like, for example, you, you come into the... Uh, you come into the, the elevator. There's a guy who's an elevator starter down here uh, in our building. And every day he says the same thing to me. Every day. And, and he has an idea. I don't know what he thinks I do here, but he has an idea that somehow I'm in business. Now, I don't have a business-like face, obviously, but he thinks it. So I say the same thing back to him every day. We've been going like this for... It seems like since uh, the time that the first apple was eaten in the, in the Garden of Eden, you know. And here's what he says to you. I come walking in, and he sees me, see. And right away he looks at me, and his voice gets a certain tone. And he says to me, and I'll quote, he says, uh, Well, things are looking up, right? It's going to be okay. Market's looking good. I don't know what the hell is going on with the market. I couldn't care less. But I have never yet once said to him, look, what, why do you always ask me about the market? I don't know nothing about the market, <laughs> you know, which is what I feel like saying. So you know what I say to him every morning? And I find myself doing it. I say, oh, I don't know, you know, it's, uh, it's going to work out. I guess you're right. It's looking good. And he says, yeah, that's what I say. I get in the elevator, up I go. That's all we ever say. Now, now that's what Beckett writes about. <laughs> he writes about the constant meaningless conversations that people continually have in lieu of what? There's no other possibility. So it's not a put-down of people. <laughs> it's not a put-down of people in lieu of what? As you go drifting along. What are you going to say? What have you to say to the guy in the parking lot? What has he got to say to you? And what are you going to say to somebody who's even very close to you? Except, uh, boy, it sure is hot today. Why? I'll tell you, you know, I think it's going to rain. It just feels like rain. You know, I'm, I'm getting a cold, you know? I'll tell you, it's just hanging on the edge. I can just feel it. It's hanging on the edge there. Oh, boy. That's just my luck to get a cold now. It's always the way it is. Nothing worse than a cold this time of year. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. Yeah. Well, you never know. What the hell? After all, you can't win them all. You know, you just can't win them. You can't expect to win them all. <laughs> and this is what they write about, which to me fascinates me more because I don't think people talk the way they do in plays. I have never heard anybody talk the way people talk in, say, for example, an, an, an Albie play. I know what you're doing. Oh, yes, I know what you're doing. You're emasculating me, and you're not going to get away with it. I understood this from the very moment. The day that you walked into the library, I knew that you were... No, no, who's going to take the garbage out? 
Yes. I'm going to write a play eternally. That's uh, where the people are eternally taking the garbage out. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. All right, now, does anybody, does anybody recognize the thing that I'm talking about uh, on the stage? Well, all right, I'll describe the scene to you then, if you're curious. The stage in Waiting for Godot is that most theatrical of all stages. It is a stage that is apparently bare of everything. Just a, 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 a backdrop, which is a translucent screen, which glows and gives you the idea that sometimes it's day and sometimes it's night. It just keeps glowing back and forth. Sometimes it's day and sometimes it's night. But off on stage left is a tree. This is an important character in the play. A tree. And the tree has no leaves. Just a bare tree. And as these two characters come out on the stage, Estrogen, Vladimir, and finally Pazzo, and out comes the slave, and they're waiting, waiting. They take off their boots and they put them on again. And one of them says, look at this shoe. It's, look at this thing. It doesn't fit. And then he says, oh, really? Well, why don't you try pulling it up harder? Oh, I don't know. And they're just endless trivia. And then every once in a while, one says, what are we doing here? He says, well, you know, we're waiting. What do you mean, what are we doing here? It's silly, what are we doing here? We're waiting. He's waiting for what? He says, well, you know what we're waiting for? We just got a message. He's coming. He's on his way. Now, we're not going to leave now. He's coming. He's on his way. That's all right. Don't worry. I'll do the book fine club. <laughs> all right. Cut it. Cut it. They're all excited. Cut it, I said. For crying out loud. I can't do the background. Hey, listen. I have a commercial here. Final one here. It's, uh, yeah, the book fine club. And if you're one of those poor people out there who have trouble getting the decent books in your library and in your bookstore, you better, you better find out about the book fine club. And they don't, they're not, they're just going to send you literature and let you know what it's all about. In fact, uh, I get more letters from people who say our bookstore has only got Charlie Brown sweatshirts. So I would like to suggest you find out about the Book Fine Club, and you can do it real easy. Just send a card, no money, to Book Fine, W-O-R, New York, 10018, and they'll send you all the dope. You don't have to send any money, and they'll give you all the detail. It's a good, good, fine book club. The Book Fine Club, okay? Everybody fine? All right, bring it up there, Herb. Yes, waiting for Gado. It's like eternally waiting. Well, it's like Ahab, you know. Waiting for the white whale to show up. Although not quite, because in Ahab's case, he found the white whale, and all it did was kill him. But Gado never shows. But the thing that happens is that at the end of the... And this is the one note of total optimism in this play. After all this boiling around, just before the curtain goes, you notice something. There is one green leaf on the tree. Something has happened. One green leaf on the tree. Life goes on. Life goes on. A man floats down the Connecticut River, throws his clothes in the laundromat, steps out and gets busted. But by God, it's spring. Spring! This is WOR New York. You stay tuned for 
Lester Smith in the News.